had a little book was given to me, and every page spelled liberty. All my trials, Lord, soon be over. There is a tree in paradise, and the pilgrims call it the tree of life. All my trials, Lord, soon. It's too late, my friend. Too late, but never mind. All my trials, Lord, soon be over. Good morning, Kaisis family. We are. Getting ready for this episode. I'm a little nervous for this episode because I don't want to get in trouble. But today we're going to be talking about women in ministry. But before we do that, I kind of want to address something that happened last episode. We had a a guest speaker, didn't we, Abran? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, y'all probably heard like a cat in the background. And that's actually uh, my cat. Well, more like Megan's cat named Elsa. And um, she... Whenever she feels lonely, she she goes and cries. And anyways, so uh, she felt a need to to pop in and say hi. So apologies for that. But uh, Abraham, how are you this week? Doing good, man. Uh, doing good this week. Um, I've been preparing for a, a little graduation party that's coming this weekend. So I've been busy with that this week. But apart from that, everything's been going well. No, that's awesome. Hold on. That's awesome. Um, so today... I want to I wanna talk about kind of our journey. I know the previous episodes have been more like explaining a subject, uh, but not really describing the journey. Today, I really want to describe that journey about my views on women in ministry. And just to give you some background, when I, when I started my internship about four years ago with Pastor Todd, uh, we were both complementarians through and through. But after four years of a little bit of everything and research and talking and conversations, uh, we both ended up egalitarians, right? Um, and I want to be careful when I use that title because um, I know it has a lot of baggage when, when people, when you hear the word egalitarian, especially in areas of theology, um, it's usually associated with liberal theology or, or, or theology that denies inerrancy. It does have a lot of political uh, baggage. But when I use the word egalitarian, I think a better title or better way to describe it is male and female mutualism. And I want to provide a definition for that so you know where I'm coming from. And this definition actually comes from a pastor, a South African pastor named Taryn Williams. And he says, um, this is how he describes male-female mutualism. Um, men and women are distinct and yet equal, created to serve and partner alongside each other in all spheres of life. Each person's God-given authority, gifting, and expertise can and should be recognized and celebrated regardless of their gender. And by the way, you are more than welcome 
to disagree with, with Abraham and I, but we just want to share you part of our journey and maybe shed new light on a subject that maybe you just haven't um, maybe thought about or seen in a different light. But before we get right into it, Abraham, do you have any, just any thoughts as we get ready to talk about this subject? Yeah, uh, this could be, you know, a bit of a challenging topic. And I know on a personal level, you know, in all of my church experience, it's always been men in leadership and teaching positions. So I know it's a, it's a little bit different to be talking about women in ministry, but I still think, you know, it's an important topic to go over. Yeah. So I want to begin with this. Where did it all start? For me, it started, it all started, this journey started with three things. One, questioning male-only deacons. Two, my relationship with Megan. And three, with a book. And we're gonna, I want to kind of go over these these three today. So starting with the first one, male-only deacons. I don't want to get into the text yet because that's something I want to do next week where we got to get a little bit slightly more technical and take a closer look into passages. But when it comes to male-only deacons, I realized that it was easier to make a case about male-only elders, bishops, and pastors but not so easy to make the case about male-only deacons. And I remember sharing these thoughts with Pastor Todd. I was like, hey, Pastor, I, I could see the case for elders or bishops or pastors being men, but not really for, for women. And here's where, for, this is where I got even more suspicious. When, when men in the Bible are called deacons or servants, there is no doubt about who they are when the six in, in Acts are called deacons or servants, right? Or they're called servants or whatever, no, no, no doubt. Or when Paul describes the office of the servant or the deacon, and or he names certain deacons, there is no doubt that these men are truly deacons in a proper sense. But I just find it super strange that when women like, like Phoebe in Romans um, are called deacons, immediately there is suspicion. Immediately, you have theologians or commentators say, "Well, we're not really," and and I just that just not that's not a convincing argument. When a, when this title is used in regards to men, no doubt, no one questions it. When it's when it's applied to to women in a similar context, suspicion. So, once again, I remember telling uh, like this this went on for like a year of me questioning this, not really a year, a few months, and I told. Pastor Todd, look, uh, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I think women are allowed to be deacons, and I was really nervous because I don't know what it meant, you know, um, regarding my internship or church or whatever. And he was, he was so happy for me. He was like, "Look, I encourage you to learn more. I'm really glad you're getting to your own conclusions rather than just, you know, piggybacking on, 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 on everyone else." And that was encouraging, and it led me to this question: If the question of women deacons requires a second look. What else requires a second look? You know, female elders, female pastors. I don't know. That's that's that. This is where it all started. Questioning male only deacons. So Abraham, don't you find it kind of weird though? When 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 men are called deacons, there's no doubt. But when women are called deacons, there's all this suspicion. I don't know. I just find that weird. What do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, put in those terms. I think it's more unfair. You know, than than being weird. Because it seems that we have certain expectations on who can lead or who can serve. And passages like these, like you said, mentioning Phoebe and stuff, doesn't meet those expectations. Um, and I think that that could be because of you know, cultural and traditional lenses that we have. 
um, you know, because growing up, we were mostly part of Hispanic churches. And we know that Hispanic churches tend to be patriarch, patriarchal mm -hmm. uh, because of culture. And, you know, even though I never interacted with, with my church's theology in regards to, to women in ministry, you know, it was evident that women didn't hold these positions. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just strange, right? And at least for me, that, that's where it all started. Um, another thing that was happening in the background was my relationship with Megan. So part of this journey, kind of there's a lot of overlap between me when I was dating Megan and when we were married. Um, for all, this is where, for me, it's just, for me, once again, this is my journey. I just found it really weird because for all practical purposes, my relationship with Megan was egalitarian. And here's the weird part. It worked out. It worked. And the way I grew up, like you just described, like our culture is very patriarchal, generally very patriarchal. Our family dynamics to this day revolves around um, my, my, my father, right? And there are some instances in Mexican culture where it, 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 certain families are matriarchal in cases where um, father dies, mother becomes matriarchal. Um, so that's the way I grew up. There's no middle ground. Either it's patriarchal or it's matriarchal. And there was this expectation growing up that you, me as the man, I'm called to lead my wife financially, uh, spiritually, and in, in every way I'm supposed to have the final word. I'm so uh, certain expressions that I would hear, like the man is the pastor of the home or, or stuff like that. Right. So this, that's the way I grew up. But then all that clashes with the way my relationship with my wife was developing. Because it's funny, because uh, I, I married a very stubborn Southern gal, right? And it's, and it's just so weird because in the areas of our relationship where I knew more and I had more experience, I took charge. But in the areas where she knew more, she took charge. And that, as I took moments to reflect, I've, that kind of shocked me because I thought I had to lead in all areas or else it's going to fail, right? That's almost how they paint it. If the man is not the leader of the house... It's going to it's gonna go bad. There's consequences. But that didn't happen. Kind of the opposite happened. It actually brought us closer together and it brought greater awareness to our strengths and weaknesses. And, and, and the consequences of that was that the idea of one of us being the leader started to disappear. So having so in my mind, at least emotionally, I was open to the idea of reconsidering my views on women because Megan really transformed that area for me. Once again, I grew up in a very patriarchal family. Um, my, my, at least that my immediate family, very patriarchal. My extended family was matriarchal. My, my, my paternal grandmother was the matriarch. And that's how I grew up, right? It's either or. And then my relationship with Megan kind of changed that. So I don't know. I just, that, that prepared me and made me more open to explore alternatives because I feel like I was lied to. If un unless the man takes leadership, it's going to fail. And that didn't happen. So I know I'm rambling a little bit of it on, but have you seen this in your own relationship? Because I don't know you're in a relationship around. Has that, is there some, have you had similar experiences like mine? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think you could say that, that I was egalitarian by accident even, <laughs> um, or just unaware that I was. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, you know, kind of reflecting on this, you know, I saw that, you know, I really love and care for my girlfriend. Her name is Ashley, by the way. 
um, you know, really love and care for, for Ashley. So I never saw her, you know, as being beneath me or needing me to guide her. But she was someone that I, you know, I needed to love and, and care for. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I do remember that before we, we started dating, I, I did have this idea that man had, more specifically, man had to be the financial provider. Um, and that had to do because of the examples my parents had set. Yeah. You know, but later realizing that it's not necessarily a biblical truth that men have to be, you know, financial providers. So when I started dating, actually, you know, I never set that, you know, as an expectation or standard. And also, you know, in regards to like our spiritual journey, it, it's been both an individual and a shared journey. Yeah. So I didn't feel the need to be the one that overlooks, you know, her spiritual journey. Uh, but I saw it as being a part of it. You know, it's something that, that we're doing together, not that yeah. she's over me or that I'm over her. Yeah. And also, you know, a lot of talks about our expectations and goals that we had for each other in regards to our relationship um, were never on the basis of gender. So that's something that, that I saw in my relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. It's, dude, it's it's funny how, how women can change your life, right? Oh, yeah. And for the better. <laughs> okay. The third thing that, that, that shaped my journey, or at least started this journey, was a book. Um, I think I shared this before. Me and Todd, would part of our internship, we would read books. And one of the first, not the one of the first, but I think one of the first 10 books that we read was a book called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by a guy named Gordon Fee. Um, he's a, a theologian. Part of the He was part of the Church of uh, the Assemblies of God. And this book was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And it's funny because it, this book is not even about women in ministry. It's not about egalitarian. It has nothing to do with, with our subject today. The book is just about tracing the theme of the Holy Spirit throughout the story of the Bible. And it's a smaller book. There's a big book or like a, a big, big book that's called, it has the same title, but then he kind of summarized it in a smaller book. And that's the one we read. But what I found fascinating about, about this book is that he shows throughout this book how Pentecost is the climax of the story of the Bible, where where God is with humans once more because of the work of Jesus, just like he was in the Garden of Eden, and even in a greater way. The same spirit and the same glory that descended in the temple, right, in Solomon's temple, in the tabernacle, now dwells in us. And, and the way he puts it is just like it's such a beautiful picture of, of how, how Pentecost is, is the beginnings in a taste of heaven, of, of heaven coming down to earth. And it's so beautiful. But here's a part. Something clicked in me when, 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 when I read this book because he, he made this in a passing statement. He just said, and the spirit descended on both men and women equally without discrimination. And that's, Abraham, that, that, that for me, like shattered me personally emotionally, spiritually, not in a bad way. It was just so humbling because, because, and I was just overwhelmed with this deep confusion that if women can host the living God, if women can be living temples of the presence of the creator, but they can't teach other men or other people about God. That, that picture was so was and is still confusing to me. And I'm in my internal thoughts was there is something wrong with that picture, and it's so funny. Last year, maybe around September, or October, I told I forgot I forgot what we were talking about, but he asked me where 
where did it all start for you? And I told him about this book and he just thought it, it's just funny. You know, it's always the things that you don't expect that lead you to, to something else. Because once again, this book I've recommended to everyone, Paul, the spirit and the people of God by Gordon Fee. No worries. It's, it's not about egalitarianism. It's just about the whole, how the Holy spirit is present throughout the whole Bible. And, um, that personally started this, it was part of my journey. So I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I remember whenever you painted this picture for me, you know, it was pretty confusing, you know, how, how women are hosting temples alongside men, but yet in a way are inferior or have restrictions, you know, set upon them. Um, and in the book, uh, How God Sees Women by Taryn Williams that, you know, I've been, I've been reading recently, you know, preparing for this podcast, he talks about how the spirit has been poured unto men and women and also that the Great Commission is given to Jesus followers that's made up of men and women. So for me, it raised the question of how can women receive God's spirit and the greatest commission given by Christ, yet they can't teach or lead men, but men can teach and lead women. So that was very interesting and, and confusing to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so where do we go onward? So for me, having that in mind, having those parameters, those three things that that really started this journey, I was like, okay, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna undertake this challenge. And 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 a few things were challenging to me: church history, because I'm like, it's always been this way, though, right, Abraham? Like, like, tell me, tell me a famous women pastor in church history. Give me one. I don't know any. Yeah, exactly right. So me, th- that was my instinct to say, well, church history, and two. Scripture is absolutely clear on this subject. That was at least that was my, my initial impression. So for me, the two big things that I have to tackle is church history and scripture. So that's what I want to tackle a little bit today. Let, let's take a closer look into church history and why women weren't um, weren't allowed in ministry. Now, I just want to make a few clarifications before I do this. I know some people may object, and rightly so about that complementarians also believe that women are equal and that they've received the spirit equally. Absolutely. True. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying otherwise, but here's, here's why I'm bringing up church history first. Has complementarianism always been the church's belief? And the answer is no. Look, for those of you that's been hearing for a while, y'all know that I love church history. And when you take a closer look at complementarianism, this idea that men and women are equal but different roles, it's actually a very modern idea that did not take hold in the church until the 1960s. And what you're about to hear about what the church has held for many years is actually quite unsettling. So before that, I kind of want to make a a quick disclaimer. I want to apologize because some of these comments are actually very triggering, can be triggering for some of you. At least it was for me. It was very sickening to hear this, but I really want you to to hear what the church throughout the ages has held about women. And you're going to hear famous names and how they perceive the women. So I want to start off, I'm going to divide this up with early church, middle ages, reformation, and um, the modern age. So I, I just want to share a few quotes. Early church, Tertullian said this, he says, woman, the woman is a temple built over a sewer. Do you not know? Not, uh, do you not know that you are each an Eve? The sentence of God on this sex of yours lives in this age. The guilt must of necessity live too. You are the devil's gateway. You are the first deserter of the divine law. 
You are she who persuaded him whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. You destroyed so easily God's image. Man, on account of your desert, uh, desert uh, even the Son of God had to die. Now, Clement, for women, for women, the very consciousness of their own nature must evoke feelings of shame. St. Augustine, he says, women has no value outside of man. As a helpmate, a function, she is simply a helpmate, a function that pertains to her alone. She is not the image of God. In the Middle Ages, a guy named Otto of Cluny, he says, woman, uh, the woman was the author of the fall of man. Even with our fingertips, how can we desire to embrace such a sack of dung? Albert the Great, the teacher of Thomas Aquinas, he says, woman is a big, woman is a misbegotten man and has a faulty and defective nature in comparison to his. Uh, Thomas Aquinas reaffirming this same sentiment that women are defective. He says, women are naturally subject to men because in men, reason predominates. During the Reformation, Martin Luther, he says, uh, the word and works of God is quite clear that women were made either to be wives or prostitutes. John Knox God has revealed that it is more than a monstrosity in nature that a woman should have shall that a woman shall reign and have empire above men. John Calvin he says women who by nature are born only to obey for all wise men have always rejected the government of women as an unnatural monstrosity. Uh, the Puritan John Dudd he says so must the wives fear their husbands. For if there be not fear and reverence in the inferior, there can't be sound nor constant honor yielded to the superior. Now let's go to the modern age, 1957, Donald Gunthry. He says, the priority of man's creation places him in a position of superiority over women. Charles Ryrie, 1958, the mind of God, the mind of God concerning women will mean, will mean subordination and honor in the home silence and helpfulness in the church. And when does complementarianism come into the picture? It comes into the, into the picture in 1987 in the Danvers Statement. The theological idea of complementarianism was introduced and formulated. I don't know about you, Ron. For me, this is shocking, mm -hmm. deeply disturbing, and it shows how culture affects how we read the scriptures. Because around when you read ancient texts, especially in the early church, when you read pagan, secular ancient texts and how they describe women, it's almost the same around, about how early Christians or early church fathers described women. And here's the thing, around, it makes me wonder. And I know we did a podcast about this once uh, a long time ago about how the ancient world saw women. But it makes me wonder if culture affected how how the church throughout history has perceived women how does culture influence and affect how i read about women in the scriptures today you know like the, you see a pattern here culture has influenced men's perception about women in the church and and and, and there's no reason for us to think that that isn't being carried on today and it just you know just reading this around just saddens me to think of the millions of women who suffered under this teaching, who, who heard the words, you're just dung, 
right? You are defective. You are inferior. And and generations of this around, you can't, I don't know, you just can't tell me that that hasn't bled into the church today or that doesn't affect us directly or indirectly. I don't know, Ron. Aren't these statements horrifying? What are you, I know it's a lot, but what are your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, like you said, very shocking, very, very sad to hear. You know, whenever I, I read these quotes also, you know, in, in, in the book that we've been reading, I, my heart felt like really heavy, you know, because these quotes are coming from Christian men, you know, men who've, who've embraced Christ's gospel. Um, but their view on women seems so radically different from that of Jesus' view and treatment of women. And it's also, you know, very sad to read because, you know, they're talking about, you know, our Christian wives, Christian girlfriends, our Christian mothers, daughters, sisters, mm, and, yeah. you know, Christian female friends. You know, these are the, the people that, that they're calling out. Um, so very saddening to hear, you know. Um, and I just, I believe that we should view women like Christ did, right? Not like our society does. Because we see that um, the way society and culture views women does not always align with, with Scripture. Exactly. Abraham, and, it, and it's quotes like these that show that church history can't be the authority. You know what I mean? Like you read this and you're like, they're clearly wrong. It's crazy. The reason they don't allow women in ministry apart from the scriptures that they misinterpreted, it's because of these degrading thoughts and ideas about women. So I'm like, okay, if church history can be wrong about women in this area, who says they're an authority? For me, so in other words, to say that there has never been a female pastor in church history, at least that statement alone, is not an argument in and of itself because church history and Christians have repeatedly shown the different ways in which they twist, they abuse scripture. And quotes like these show how the culture has a way of hijacking the church. And we see this in many things. We talked about the culture war. We've talked about the prosperity gospel, theonomy, patriarchy, and much more. Culture has a way of hijacking the church. Now, hear me out. Did the church hold to these horrible ideas about women because of the Bible? And the answer is no. We see how the church and people, especially like Tertullian, purposely deviate from an ancient tradition of women serving, women teaching, and even women preaching. It's a little controversial, but I, I think I can, I, can, I can provide a case for that. So in the next week or two, I want to—I I really want to dive into the, to the hard scriptures, not just church history. I really want to take a closer look into the scriptures, and, and I want to show you how it brings an opposite assessment about women. Women aren't inferior. Women aren't other than. They're not misbegotten men. They're image bearers. They're hosts of the living God. They're co-heirs with Jesus. They're daughters of the living God alongside their brothers in Christ. And then, consequently, in doing so, we're going to take a closer look of how women can also participate in, in ministry. It's going to be quite challenging. Once again, you are more than welcome to disagree with me. You can, you're more than welcome. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that egalitarianism is the only answer to, to how we should understand women in ministry. I just want to provide a different lens. And just provide a some insight into traditional and how traditional interpretations of scripture are not only more modern than you realize, but also not not exactly right. So, anyways, everyone, um, any any final thoughts, everyone, um, on, on all this? 
yeah, I just think, you know, we need to be careful not to mix our personal culture and ideology with the picture that the scriptures are trying to show us in regards of women in Christ's kingdom. And I know it's hard to, to unlearn certain beliefs or views, especially because of the, the culture and society around us. But sometimes it's necessary to, to, to unlearn certain things so that we can learn new and greater truth at time. Um, but regardless, you know, of where we stand on the issue, I do believe that we need to esteem women higher than how society and culture does, because that's the example that, that Jesus provided for us. Mm, yeah, exactly. So that's going to be that's going to be fun, right? Around it's going to be a fun two weeks and and taking a closer look into scripture. And it's going to be wonderful to see Jesus's example specifically. So thank you, Abraham. Um, today was a little bit short, but I just want to introduce you to the subject. But, but before we uh, finish up, Abraham, I feel like I have to address something. Um, uh, for our hearers, you may have heard me say Abraham whenever I'm addressing Abraham. Abraham, you want to explain why I'm... I call you that? Well, it, it's not that difficult. You know, that, that's my name in, in Spanish. You know, Abraham, that's what everybody calls me, my parents, you know, my siblings. And so a lot of just just used to calling me that, um, but that's just the the Spanish translation of Abraham. I realize that some people might have been confused. They were like, "Why, why is he calling him this this completely different name?" <laughs> no, well, thank you, Abraham. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see y'all. We'll see y'all again. There is a tree in paradise And the pilgrims call it the tree of life Oh, my trials, Lord Soon be over But it's too late, my friend money could buy then the rich would live and the poor would die oh my trials Lord soon be over oh my trials Lord soon